Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. Mr. Bruce, if I could just bounce in here. Uh, so, so this Earth system seems pretty complex. The way that everything is structured from these genetic attachments that we seem to have and these karmic attachments. And I, it, it does seem like spiritual warfare. Is, is there a reason that you think, have you discovered a reason for why this is happening on Earth? Well... I can theorize to that. I mean, I'm very pragmatic in my approach to this. And you have to be to make any headway. Uh, you have to let go of all religious bias and everything that's not useful. You test it out in the field, field try it, doesn't work, work. You have, you have to discard. To discard. Um, um, the only, the only thing, thing that makes, makes sense, sense, you could say, uh, uh, one, you could say there are natural unseen predators in the world. Uh, now, that is probably part of this. Now, just like in the physical universe, predators are very valuable. Uh, like if you look at how I think they've reintroduced wolves into Yellowstone Park and the land is recovering because it, it causes a huge amount of damage when you, don't when you remove natural predators uh, because they do a service. They keep the gene pool clean. They... Um, and, you know, various other things there. Everything works in harmony. Now, we're talking about something here now. You've got these beautiful deer and rabbits and that roaming around. And you get these evil wolves coming in, killing them, eating them alive sometimes, you know. And you think, oh, that's evil. Let's kill them off. The poor little deer. But if you kill them off, what happens to the deer? You get massive overpopulation, overfeeding. They kill off a lot of plants and the land starts to die because the land's been put out of balance. So predators are necessary, necessary in an environment. You could say we have a similar sort of thing biologically with viruses and bacteria and things like that. Now, back to human, human beings, you could say that it is the interactions between the positive and the negative sides between the dark side with the demons and bad spirits and that and the angels and spirit masters it is the interactions between those with human beings in the middle that cause evolution to occur spiritual evolution to occur right and that's about as close as I've come to it because wherever I look in the universe, in the physical world, in the spiritual world, the afterworld, everywhere, I keep seeing one thing standing out and that's evolution. It is everywhere. And so because it is everywhere, it must have something to do with the reasons why things are the way they are. Hmm. Interesting. So, so this does aid in our natural evolution. Do you find, do you find that in death and in the afterlife that these attachments that we have follow us over? Not in the afterlife. No. Once a person physically dies, uh, it's a whole new ball game. Uh, now the ghost. Keep in mind, there's a, a mind split effect occurs at death. Um, which can affect what actually happens. You could say you have your real-time etheric body, the, the lowest level energy body to the physical. When the physical body dies, that is like the, uh, the ghost that uh, can be occasionally seen. And most ghost sightings of deceased people happen within, um, you know, within two to four weeks of a person dying. You get various phenomena and that which are quite common. Um, now, but if a person does not move on, then that person can, through associated touching physical beings, like trying to give relatives hugs and that, you can end up like earthbound. Because when you touch, uh, as a ghost, when you touch a loved one, let's say you try and hug your wife or your daughter or something, you will soak up like living 
physical universe energy through biosmosis just by trying to hug somebody. And keep in mind that you'll just pass through them. You might give them a bit of a shiver. They'll, they'll notice it. Um, and that's one, that's one side of it. How do you think we can dissuade these beings from attaching to us? I mean, you at the beginning of this this recording, we we discussed. I mean, you say that it's being at the wrong place at the wrong time, but how can we protect and strengthen our auras and our fields so that these these entities aren't even you know persuaded or you know drawn Draw. to us? Well, well, you can. You can strengthen your natural fields, uh, call it your aura if you like, or part of your aura, by living a good life and thinking good thoughts, you know, living a good life, eating, eating good quality food, all of that helps, getting some exercise. I mean, people who are fit and healthy generally have less problems, but they are not excluded from them. There is... Um, they generally have less problems, but it doesn't stop them. I mean, I've had lots of people that are super fit athletes that, are, that have come to me with, uh, you know, demonic possession attacks and things like that. So it doesn't exclude you, but it does reduce your chances. Uh, in general, of picking up something vicariously in your travels, like when you're out, you know, in town, you know, going about your life, when you come up to come into contact with something that may be trapped in a building, now, keep in mind these things can't cross running water and our towns, every street and every house is like surrounded by, every apartment building is surrounded by running water and entities tend to accumulate, particularly deceased entities, ghosts, tend to accumulate in areas that are surrounded by water because they can't cross the running water and most of them don't know how, don't know why. But having an understanding, I mean, uh, just the understanding I pass on in my book, The Practical Psychic Self-Defense Handbook, uh, gives you pretty much all you need to know because if you deal with these things fairly quickly in, in, a, in a fairly effective way, just by using running water and that, and like you get a problem occurs in an evening, don't delay having a shower. Uh, you know, take, take action, do something about it. Um, but as for dissuading them, in general, this would be like trying to discourage fish from eating shrimp uh, or <laughs> trying to discourage sharks from eating whatever they eat. Um, the communication is not that good, but uh, leading the higher demons, the more intelligent demons, usually only interfere with a human being for a reason. Uh, that could be something hereditary, hereditary something that happened hundreds of years ago, but sometimes you can negotiate with a demon and you can create a, uh, a deal with it where it will leave you alone and give it, you find, have to find out what it wants and then you come up with an arrangement where you give it what it wants and it might be something really simple, like on the 4th of July at sundown, you will light a candle for it, a red candle for it, and maybe burn a little bit of tobacco as like an offering, remembering its birthday, remembering its special day. And something simple like that is will often. And if you're faced, I mean, you're faced with something that is incredibly difficult to get rid of, and it's incredibly difficult to find anybody uh, that can actually do anything about it if you want to try and forcibly remove an entity. Um, for many years now, I've had people coming to me that have seen dozens and hundreds of healers and teachers and that. But if you have a serious, a real problem, they're often the problem's intractable. You can't get rid of it using, uh, you could say, you know, spiritual new age kind of stuff. It very often doesn't work. And they're the ones which usually, of course, end up coming to me. Um, and even all of those, I can help most of them, probably 95% of them. But... There, when you get involved with something, you know, some, some things we don't understand enough of and all the circumstances and some problems will continue uh, for a time until something changes. What was an instance where this ha was happened for you where you had to make some kind of contractual deal with an entity? I've done that with various uh, people over the years, uh, you know, a couple of dozen people where they've had some uh, contact, they can hear a voice or something like that, 
And if you get past maybe the shouting and screaming and insane talk that's going on inside the head, and sometimes they want something very, very simple. It, it, it may have been, you know, something that happened 100 years ago or so. Maybe, you know, a, a couple of times I found people, they, they wanted an apology um, uh, for something that happened a few hundred years ago. Maybe somebody was burnt at the stake and one of your ancestors was involved and this person is still really, really angry uh, because of what happened. Um, so sometimes an apology uh, works. Sometimes uh, changing your surname, changing your name can work in many cases if you get an intractable problem. Many people have done this. It's kind of social death for most people. But it's, you know, the family will go, oh, all we've got to give you is our name, the family name and that. But you can do it. But it's a good idea if you don't tell anybody. Uh, do it in secret um, to take another name. You can also not do it legally. You can do it like magically, like have yourself baptized in a completely different name. Um, but I know a lot of people that have changed their names through Deedpol and to something completely different and new. And uh, the problem has stopped overnight. And they had serious problems before, you know, change the name and it just goes away because a lot of demons are like lawyers. And if suddenly your name was Brown and you change it to Smith, well, on their contract, they are only attacking the Browns. The Smiths are not involved, therefore the entity goes away. And hmm. it stays away. Unless you change your name back, it could come back. Have you... Have you witnessed a, a demon or entity affect a large group of people? When you hear about that, I, I have seen it to an extent where um, an entity will affect maybe 70 people or so at one time. I, had to, I did a workshop uh, several years ago at the Feather Pipe Ranch, which is a uh, place in, uh, near Helena, Montana. And beautiful place, uh, lovely people there. And uh, we were on the last day of a seven-day workshop, so we knew each other pretty well. So I think there was about 70 people there, big room. And uh, I'd arranged for a young woman who had a, a serious demonic attack going on to come down at the end of the day. And I think it was about 5 p.m. she was due to turn up. And she turned up about 4 o'clock. And I'm presenting, I'm talking to these people. Uh, as we go, and she quietly slipped in, a lovely-looking young blonde-haired woman, about 24, and she very quietly and politely slipped in and sat f near the door. She found a chair, and her friend who drove her down sat next to her, very quietly, politely. Now, just about everybody in that room, 90% of the people in that room hated her on sight, and they could not explain it because I used this because um, we actually had another session after that because I noticed what happened, and uh, so I extended it. And uh, I got a show of hands, and those people would admit it, and like, yeah, 75% of the people admitted it, and a bunch of other people admitted it afterwards when, you know, in private to me. Um, and this included one of the group leaders there who was a very spiritual person, and this person was very troubled because how could that happen like, I, you know, I meditate for a few hours a day. I, um, you know, I'm a vegan, long-term vegan and this and that. And uh, how could this happen uh, that I suddenly feel hatred surging me? I could be so affected by a demon, a negative entity, whatever you want to call them. And uh, these things, these entities, some of them are very powerful. And I believe, like, you know, for my examples, at times I've seen this happen many times, um, it's like they have like a, a charisma that they can project is one way of, of thinking about it. Another way is that the entity, you could say, or the demon can split itself up into a hundred different. It'll like an astral projection where you, you produce an energy copy of yourself. It's possible that a higher demon can create like a hundred copies of itself. And these go out and attack the people in the room, those that are approachable. And obviously there's some in there that it couldn't get through to. But I tend to lean in favour with the simplest solution that is there. It's an atmosphere it produces, which is like uh, it's like a thought form where the atmosphere is, is impregnated with the thought of this, this person's horrible, 
you hate them, you know, stay away from them. You're picking up basically how the entity feels about this person. And, um, but yeah, I, um, that was one case and I've seen many, many other. I mean, a lot of the people that come to me that have been um, demonized for, you know, some time have these amazing stories and they're very, very similar. It's like people hate me. It's like you could go up to a counter to get a hot dog, for example, and the guy there serving you is nice. Hey, go and chatty and that. If one of these people walks in behind you, the person will instantly hate them. And it's like, what, what? You know, they're really rude to them. Um, you'll see this happen quite commonly that just serving people and stuff, they come into contact with gas stations that are just suddenly rude to them for no reason, apparently. And this is a part of the demonization whereby they, the entity tries to alienate the victim from uh, the support of other human beings, which mm. kind of makes sense in a certain way if you are uh, trying to break down the will of another human being if you're trying to drive them divide and conquer I have a quick question for you um, Robert is there's a lot of renewed interest in the Gnostic traditions and people are starting to kind of get a better understanding of the background concerning you know you mentioned Yehud Vavhe the Jehovah God what is your understanding that you've explored this space and this is kind of a down the rabbit hole question, but what is your understanding of the demiurge and the role of, say, Jehovah and Satan and these type of entities that have this tradition in other religions and their role in what's going on with these, I guess, lesser demonic uh, beings? I really don't know. I mean, I could easily make up some something believable here, but some of the bigger questions I really don't, know why um, this is happening. It's um, That's but, fair. You know, I find That's it more, impor more important to, to, to be able to deal with these things and find practical ways of, of uh, <clears throat> you know, getting rid of these things. I basically try and find things, that, situations that negative entities don't like. Like if you have a household um, and if, you know, I'd I do this regularly, a drill. If we come under attack here, it's quite obvious. I feel it. My wife feels it. Uh, it you know, it's obvious we're getting the symptoms. We go through a drill. I mean, the house is always lovely and clean, but we light a sensor and we burn some frankincense and myrrh and maybe a bit of copal in a mixture and a sensor. It's a sensor's, you know, the thing you swing by chains and you've got a, a charcoal cup in there burning and you put granules of incense on? Um you see them used in churches. Yeah. And I swing that, and of course, it creates a huge amount of smoke. We put on some special spiritual music, and we are very, very careful how we talk to each other because we're on alert for influences coming in. Like I said, the girl who turned up at the workshop, everybody hated her. This plays havoc in a relationship. You know, you will suddenly come out with something really hurtful or say things in the wrong way. And before you know it, you're at each other's throats or one person's in tears and the other person doesn't know what they've done. But we're very, very vigilant about that. So we're very, very careful and thoughtful about how we conduct ourselves. We put on some lovely music and we just keep lighting the incense. We smoke the house out, really smoke it out. <laughs> I mean, you can see the smoke in the air. You, you can't see the other end of the house through it. A lot of hot, smoke. Hot boxing and, the Bruce household. <laughs> what I've done, what we do there, we're creating a place which a negative entity would find horrible to be in. It's very uncomfortable for them to be there. Lovely spiritual music, beautiful organic incense, um, and lots of it, and, you know, we escalate up from there with, you know, if it's bad, even symbols and things like that. Um, even if I have to fumigate the house, if it's worse than that, I use the hot, red-hot chili, and you burn that in a sensor or in a, in, a, in a cast iron fry pan, and you need, like, smoke goggles and a wet towel for that one because it'll burn your lungs. And the ultimate, of course, is burning sulfur powder, and, of course, that is poisonous to you and to animals. Um, so you've got to get the kids, the animals out of the house and you have a few sensor areas. You can make them using, like, ashtrays and that where you you light the cup of it, uh, the charcoal cup so it's glowing and you put, like, a half a teaspoon of sulfur powder 
which you can buy from uh, uh, Bunnings. You can buy it from uh, any uh, gardening type shop. You can buy agriculture sulfur for a couple of dollars. It's very, very cheap. And uh, go to Home Depot, they'll have it there in the gardening section. And uh, you put like half a teaspoon on there, don't drown it. And you light the ones at the far end of the house, you shut all the windows, and then you leave the house for an hour. And uh, then you come back, hold your breath, open a couple of windows and uh, wait till the, you know, for the uh, fumes to clear. And this, after doing it, uh, it makes your house smell beautiful because um, sulfur absorbs uh, odors. It absorbs nasty odors. Uh, and it will also kill any insects in the house as well. Weevils, cockroaches, you name anything, will, it will kill them. Fleas, they all die. So you kind of fumigate like your house. fumigating, yeah. Yeah, and that clean, cleans your house out of, and that will also burn away mm. negative energies that may have built up. And think about it's like a, a dark pile of smoke built up in a, in dark, a dark room somewhere where the sulfur fumes actually destroy the uh, the dark energies that are building up in the house. So Mr. But that's, the, that's the last resort. Yeah, try incense first. Can we... Uh can we get into some channeling? Like, uh, you talk about you talk about overshadowing and possession, and and I've there's a lot of there's some material floating around in the New Age movement that has come about through channeling work. Like these these people have channeled this material and they're they're pushing it around. What's your view on on channeled material? Well, it depends on the material. I mean, there are good spirits in the world and angels, and they will sometimes, um, you know, pass information for a human being in various ways. Now, whether it is a voice that is heard, a vision that is seen, uh, or even where the entity will, um, you know, inhabit a person for a while and, you know, and then pass on information uh, through that person. could be spiritual information. Uh, and you look at people like, you know, you know Joseph Smith of the of the Mormons people there. Something similar happened there. He encountered these angels or beings of light, which passed on this information to him. And other religions in the world um, contain this sort of material, at least some of it that's been passed on to them. So there are good spirits as well. But it's like you, you can tell the information is. <sighs> By its fruits, I mean, you have to take that information and you've got to apply logic and reason to it. And if it's anything practical in there, you've got to test it out and see if it works. Because it doesn't work, you know, you know I'm a firm believer in what works, works. Uh, you know, regardless of how well it should work, theoretically, which is what you're dealing with today. A lot of things, including channel material on how to deal with spirit entities and, uh, and demons and that, a lot of the methods given don't work. And in fact, I've read some books by well-known authors uh, dealing with, uh, you know, uh, negative spirit entities and that. And who and these spirits, uh, channeled spirits, claim that spirit possession is impossible. It cannot happen. Like a spirit cannot enter a person like a bird flies into a tree, for example. Now, I know that is a lie. Now, when pushed, and I'm taking information here from uh, uh, an author named Alan Kardec um, from over 100 years ago. He wrote The Spirit's Book, The Medium's Book, and I'm quoting from The Medium's Book. Yeah. And yeah. when he pushed the people, because he had some experience with people being possessed and that, they did admit then that, uh, well, if a spirit does interfere with a human being, it's only because a human being has something inside of them which is like what is inside the spirit. So like attracts like. Uh, and that's why you've attracted the spirit to you. Now, I totally disagree with the whole like attracts like thing. It's been hugely corrupted and, and it's used as maxims are generally faulty. Um, it doesn't work in real life and it definitely doesn't work in the spiritual universe, not as a maxim that covers everything. And this was the argument I was having when the idea for, I was offered the contract for the Practical Psychic Self-Defense Handbook, um, the original. 
And where I won the argument was, I mean, these people were stuck in the rut of it's karma, it's this and it's that, you know, there's nothing you could do about it. And it, it's like the person suffering attack, they're bringing on themselves somewhere, they've been dabbling and they've got bad thoughts or they're a bad person, like an alcoholic attracts an alcoholic spirit sort of thing. And where I won... I've done extensive work with children, including babies, six to nine months, years of age. Now, I've seen babies uh, like six to nine months, years of age, which are suffering full-blown demonic attacks. And these babies are screaming, they're rigid, there's physical damage occurring, you know, uh, muscles tearing and things like that, horrible things. And I've proven these are attacks with the mother's consent, of course, who comes with me, by walking the baby across running water. And there's instantaneous stops stops the attack. And you walk across it as soon as the baby crosses that water, the baby goes limp and it's goo goo gaga, happy little baby falling asleep. Now, if I take, and I've done this many times, if I take one step back over that water the way I came, scream goes the baby. I've done that with babies. I've done it with my own children. I've done it with myself. I've literally, once I was in a situation where I was under a major attack and I'm standing one side of a water main. Now I was crippled with spinal sciatic pain, had to stagger out of the house to go home. But when I passed through the gate, where the main water pipe was going right under the gate, you could see the asphalt there had been, was disturbed, whether it had been replaced or worked on recently. Now, there's massive pain. I was hobbling. I had tears running down my face. And the instant I stepped through that gate, the pain stopped. And I go, wow, I'm okay now. This is at nighttime, about 8 p.m. in the dark. And I thought, well, I'll go back and join the party. One step back, there, down I went instantly. And, oh, not so good idea, hobble back, you know, through the gate again, it disappeared again. I did that a couple of times before I realised there was something over there that I can't see that is biting me. I couldn't sense it. I'm quite sensitive. It was just there. Now, I experimented with this. I moved my foot up to that pipe very, very slowly, sliding along the ground. And when I got to an exact point and my tippy-toe just crossed the water, I could feel a spasm and pain instantly shot up my leg into my back and I was like almost crippling pain. And pull it back, pain stops. So I had pain, no pain, pain, no pain, pain, no pain. And I've done that experiment dozens of times with myself and with other people and it's like valid. It, this is what's happening. We don't know exactly what's happening here but we have a pretty fair idea, keeping it very simple, that these things, whatever they are, cannot cross running water. And using that one principle, this is my gift to the world. I mean, some, if you go back into the, the myths and uh, of the past, you come across records where ghosts and werewolves and vampires are not allowed, they can't cross running water, various things like that, can't cross running water. And it's like, it's called myths and old wives' tales, and this is where your vampire movies and that come from. Even the fact that a vampire must have your permission before it can enter your home, but once it has permission, you cannot revoke that. That is also valid. A lot of spirits need your permission before they can actually attack you or try and possess you. They try and elicit Permission. Permission's a big issue, which applies to many spirits, but not all. So it's complicated. I know the basics here, and I know things that work, but there are some fine details and that, you know, the different types of entities and that, which um, I don't know enough details on yet to give, like, a, you know, a credible description. I could very easily make something up, totally believable which I believe a lot of other authors and people that write on these subjects and people that channel do that. They, they You get this religious belief system biases where it's got to fit this theory and these books and the things which are commonly accepted, and you fall into that trap. I mean, this is why we have um, scientific method to protect the realm of science from bias and hearsay and all the things which would destroy science. 
because, you know, a scientist is by definition an open-minded skeptic. And when you take information, you must it must be through personal experience. And, of course, there is empirical knowledge, which is things which have been done, experiments and things which have been worked out, which everybody is continually researching, looking for errors. Uh, you know, trying to to make sure that the scientific record is absolutely 100% the truth as far as they know it today. So I, I'd like to get more of an understanding of, you know, you you and, and your experiences and Robert Bruce, Robert Bruce as the man, what is your understanding of, based on everything that you've said, everything experience that you had of reality, of what this entire thing is, what do you make of it? What is our place in it? How do we make sense of this? Or how have you made sense of it at all? Well, I make sense of it primarily <coughs> by focusing on what's in front of me and keeping it simple. You know, the KISS principle, keep it simple. Um, that works. And also by, uh, you know, getting rid of any bias. Uh, seven, eight years ago or so, a master materialized to me in my room. I was standing up. The overhead light was on, and the master explained to me why I couldn't make any progress. Now, at the time, I had a typical New Age-type belief system, probably similar to most of your listeners, but the master explained to me that um, how this worked and how this I was blinding myself to the actual greater reality. I could see bits and pieces of it, but when you tried to work with it, a lot of it was unworkable, didn't make sense, and he explained to me the way of the master. And he said, it has always been this way and it will always be this way because this is the only way it can happen. And that is basically to apply scientific method to spirituality. Basing, ooh, thunder. <laughs> thunder. Uh, yeah. Basing your uh, beliefs, which are very, very important, on personal experience only. And he explained to me how to do it. He said, write a list of all the things you believe in and you'll get page after page of stuff, particularly relating to spiritual metaphysical things. And he said, then write another list of the things you believe in, which are based upon part personal experience, your own. And I ended up, when I did that the first time, I had a little piece of paper with about nine items on there. And I had several pages of other things, which I now had to discard. And <clears throat> it, it's to make... What happens there, the things which are within the realm of personal experience and anything on that list which is a one-off experience, you've got to put an asterisk next to it because that's a one-off personal experience. You've seen one UFO, for example, and now you need to really find more. You keep a lookout for that. But explain to it, it said your core beliefs, what you take into your heart, those nine things I took into my heart and I discarded the rest. It said these things in your heart your core beliefs, he says, to use an analogy here, these beliefs form perceptual filters for your mind. And these filter out information that flows between you and the greater reality, the collective consciousness, or of higher reality, including your higher self. Now, your higher self and the divine live in absolute truth, in absolute reality, in the now. Now, just imagine the typical persons like me back then before I did this. Let's say, to use an analogy, my core belief system was triangular. I'm putting my hands together, making a triangle. <clears throat> and now you put that triangle over the top of your head. Now, everything that you download from the collective con consciousness, inspirationally, creatively, music, science, spiritual thoughts, everything has to pass through that triangle, that triangular filter. Now, let's say that all truth and creativity is spherical, orbs of truth, round orbs of truth. Now, if you force an orb through a triangle, you are going to destroy it or severely damage it. And this is why we have so much trouble communicating with our higher selves, with God, with spirituality. It's because we have so many beliefs inside of us which are just not true and they're not based on personal experience. A lot of the things which we believe in uh, are just untrue. And uh, you look throughout all the literature in the New Age, it's not just the New Age, it's everywhere. You'll find errors that people have made hundreds of years ago, 
50 years ago have been put into print and now they are commonly accepted beliefs. Like you were saying earlier about alcohol and tobacco attract negative entities. If you just believe that, then it's obviously you've got, you can't smoke, you can't drink because you might attract something to you. But if you examine that a bit more closely, you'll see it's not really quite like that. And there's nothing wrong with you having a glass of wine with your dinner or two. It's, it goes like that. But the, a, a psychologically comfortable way of doing this, which explained to me, was one, you have your core beliefs in your heart, those nine things. Hold out your left hand, and there you have your probabilities list. Things that you think are probably true, but you're awaiting personal experience before you take it into your core beliefs. So you've got a bunch of things there. And then you hold out your right hand, and there is your possibilities list. Things that you think are possible uh, in the universe, but you don't have enough information or experience to take that to the probable list or into your core beliefs. And the things in your probable list are awaiting personal experience before you can take any item from there and place it in your core, your core beliefs in your heart. And this is what blocks us from our higher self. This is where I came from. I put this into practice starting many, many years ago. And this is why my approach to the greater reality is quite different from anybody else's because it must be based on personal experience. Now, fortunately, I have a lot of personal experience in the areas I'm interested in. Yeah, I, I really like that. I like the core belief system. Mr. Mr. Bruce, we have some questions that were submitted to us, if you don't mind. They're, they're a little bit off topic. They're not psychic self-defense related. They're, okay. more, uh, they're more of just on the Just before we move on, Sure. I have a document about that experience I call the Catch Basket Concept, which details that experience with the master and the, the process of pu purifying your belief system. It's very, very easy to do. Uh, if you want, I'll give you a copy of that, and you can make it available for download. It's a PDF for your yeah, listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Okay, I'm finished. <laughs> okay. So uh, the first question is... Uh, I've been waiting years on the Kundalini book, which was referenced on his website as coming soon. It looks like Astral Dynamics doesn't make a direct mention of such a book anymore. Is there, but there is a reference to a program called the Energy Body, Kundalini and the Chakras, which is also not yet available. Is there a book? If not, when is the program going to be available? The program was released several months ago. Uh, we put our hearts and souls into creating that. It's a video-based program, um, probably, I don't know, 20, 20 hours or so of video, um, and everything I know about Kundalini. And the program is called uh, uh, Raising Kundalini. And if you go to my website at astraldynamics.com and go to the catalog, you'll find that's up the top there, one of the uh, Raising Kundalini. That's the program. Uh, so we have released that. Now, I wanted to do the program first before I wrote the book on it, which will be called uh, probably Kundalini Dynamics, because um, I like the name and it's descriptive, um, because I'm getting a lot of feedback uh, he helping people to raise Kundalini through this program, and I've learned lots of other little bits and pieces. I knew more than the basics, but I'm getting lots of other feedback and interesting stuff from this program. So I'll probably start on that book in probably six months or so time. And it, you know, probably give me six months or so to write it. And I'll be released through my uh, publishers, Red, Red Wheel uh, and Hampton Roads. Cool. Uh, next question. Uh, astral projection and lucid dreaming. Is it the same or is there a relationship between those two? There is a relationship. Uh, I actually explained this in this, the second edition of Astral Dynamics. Now, there's two editions of that too. The first one was released in 1999, and I totally rewrote it in 2010, and we released a 10-year anniversary edition. Um, it's uh, my bestseller by far. Um, now, wonderful book, and I explained this in there. Basically, um, if you start with real-time astral projection, at the bottom at the bottom here which is the closest you can get to the physical universe and this is like projecting in the real world you're like a ghost in the real world so you find yourself walking around your house and that and everything looks pretty much the same now 
you have dreaming, lucid dreaming and wake-induced lucid dreaming. Uh, that is e actually a lot easier than uh, learning how to consciously astral project. And it's uh, actually much more powerful in many, many ways. Uh, now, anything to do with the dream mind is a projection into the mental dimension. It's a projection of the mental body. And this is why dreams, lucid dreamings, and wake-induced lucid dreams are a lot more memorable. And when you're in those experiences, your mind feels more normal. Uh, which means you can remember things better, like who you are, what you're going to do, you have a plan. Now, in an astral projection, you have from real-time astral projection, you go up a gradient into the astral planes and realms. Um, now, there's a direct parallel with these and the mental dimension. So if you hold them side by side, you've got the astral dimension, the, the mental dimension here, and uh, they go from the low area both of them have a real-time zone level. So the mental dimension, you have a level you can project into real-time, like a ghost in the real world, and it's a lot more solid. And they all have, they have a, a, a you go higher, you have the astral planes, and you have the mental planes. Now, these are the same thing. You are just perceiving the astral planes from the mental level. So they're a bit more different, a bit more colorful, a bit more complex, uh, perceived from the, the mental dimension. And there are higher bodies and higher levels beyond that, but those are the ones that need to focus on because any experience with the others is incredibly rare. Um, so what most people have, now whether you have a mental projection or a, an astral projection and how high in the astral, astral planes, real time, or whether you have a lucid dream or wake-induced lucid dream, that it depends upon how your chakras are functioning. And your chakras are very complex things. So the combinations of your chakras and how they are functioning during experience, you will have a part, a normal projection is part astral and part mental body. And there is a mixture there, a variable mixture. Some people have mostly astral, and you will find if it's mostly astral, they're stuck in the real time zone. And that is a, a projection of the flesh of your body. And this is provable if you study it, that you are projecting um, from the flesh. And in that state, you will find it's difficult to think, difficult to remember who you are, what sort of plans you might have had. It's a very sexual environment. You know, you have these strong animal instincts because let's face it, human beings are animals. You know, and we are related to every other animal on the planet in that sense. Um, but yeah, there's a mixture of astral and mental, you could say, energies in most astral projections. And this is why you get such a different range of experience with all these different oddities, you know, a huge range of different types of experience where people experience different things uh, from other people. It's not consistent. And this is why, because of how the chakras are functioning, and the chakras are, of course, quite unique. Hmm. So, yeah, that basically explains, that's my working theory at the moment, and it's very workable, it works. Okay, uh, next, uh, does the moon have anything to do with astral projection, and what is on the dark side of the moon? I think it does have something to do with it because human beings are affected by the full moon particularly and some people are affected by the new moon i personally i am affected by the full moon i, I don't notice the new moon but i do am affected by the um the new moon and i do tend to i, I find i tend to have more astral projection spontaneous astral projections and visions around that time when the moon is full uh, and a lot of other people do too. Um, the, I mean, it's definitely not to do with the, you say the, the gravity of the, of the moon. You know, you think these massive gravitational forces there, because often there is a moon up in the sky in the daytime that we can't see. The the moon is there, or it's there at night. Uh, you know, with a new moon, the moon is still there. We just can't see it. You know, because it, the, the angle is wrong, it's not reflecting light off the sun. So it's definitely not the gravity. Uh, I think it may be something to do with the light reflecting off of the moon, uh, but that's just a guess. There's no real, re no, no real understanding of why 
that is, you know, that happens. But it, anecdotal evidence does suggest that it does affect people uh, considerably. As to what is on the dark side of the moon, I've been to the moon many times and it's basically, you know, more of the same. It's just the light is a lot lower. It's kind of darker. Um, as for anything I may have found on the moon, I don't generally talk about that. Okay. Uh, is it possible to pull someone out of their physical body and into the astral realm? I have tried that to death. You wouldn't believe how many times I get asked to do that. And I've tried that. But what happens is, um, if it actually fits in here with what we've other things we've been talking about, if, if you and I synced up and let's say I'm going to meditate and do an astral projection at the time when you are going to bed and you're going to be relaxed at, say, 10 p.m., um, waiting to come out of your body. Now, two things happen here. If I astral project to your room and I approach you and I try to pull you out of your body, you will sense interpret that as a massive psychic attack. It's very unpleasant. Mm. You know, massive tingling, shivers. You may feel the hand and something trying to pull you out of your body. And I kind of guarantee that you are going to panic, you know, in that. It's a very unpleasant experience there. Now, the other thing is, let's say I caught you just at the right time, whereby you are going to uh, be just about after projecting. I'm there at the right time. Maybe I try and pull you out. Your body's already loose, and one astral projector can touch another at the right time. But this would be very tricky to, uh, you know, coordinate. But let's say I was there at the right time, and your arm's already floating loose. Then I could grab that arm and gently pull you the rest of the way out of your body because you're already out. You are, your astral body is actually just floating still inside your physical body, but it's already separated. Now, that would work. Uh, and you wouldn't get the negative side effects uh, of the unpleasantness of, you know, trying to force you to astral project. Now, I have done this on many occasions, but the problem there is it's very, very rare that you would remember what has happened the, the night before. I mean, I could take you and we could travel together and I've traveled with other people. We could go to Paris and, you know, fly around the Eiffel Tower, go to the moon and do all kinds of things. But I almost guarantee you, you won't remember this when you wake up. No matter what I say, no matter what you do, there is a problem with after projection in that in order to produce an astral projection, your physical body mind must be in the process of falling asleep. Now, that's kind of mandatory. Now, in order for you to re-enter your body, you must be in the process of waking up. You need some kind of arousal there to allow the astral body to re-enter you. Now, what happens? After you astral project, a good part of your energy shifts into the astral body, and you will feel paralyzed and really weak and very tired. And normally, you will just go to sleep. And when you go to sleep, you will bomb into stage one, two, three sleep very, very quickly. Within a couple of minutes, you'll be in stage three sleep, which is quite deep sleep. Now, in that state, sometimes an alarm clock or somebody trying to wake you up will fail if you're, you know, because you'll feel really, really tired. And because a lot of your energy is also out of your body, which makes you more tired. And so um, you are not going to be able to reintegrate now, if you come back, let's say we say we'll stay out five minutes, this is more workable, and then you're going to try and get back into your body passionately, savagely shouting your success. Well, that will hopefully make an imprint of a powerful memory that you will realize in your mind. As you wake up, you'll have the memory of it. That's a technique I teach people. Usually 10 seconds out of body for the first OBE, and then dive back in passionately screaming success to try and make it an impact on, on the human mind. Um, but longer than that, you know, it could be several hours before your physical body will wake up. And if you're at you, you're in your astral body, if you try and get back in before then, your physical body will feel cold and damp and very dead. It feels like dead meat. And okay. it's quite shocking 
And a lot of people have been traumatized not knowing that. They've got it out of body and they've tried to get back in. The physical body fall into a deep sleep. It's not easily awakened. And the subtle sensations of a returning astral body are usually not enough to awaken the sleeping physical body mind. So you're laying on top of your physical body and it feels cold and you will think, oh my God, I've died. And you'll go into a panic usually if you don't know what's happening. Um, what to do there, of course, is just to go on your way, explore the astral. You probably won't remember it in the morning. But as you can see here, it's quite a complex thing. It's not something that's easily done, pulling somebody out. Yeah. Okay. Last question from our guests here. Um, do you Have you met any aliens in your journeys? Yes, I have. Yeah, I have. Okay. Um, several. Yeah. I've seen giant spaceships the size of battleships um, or aircraft carriers. And I've been in company when I was like 19. I was in the uh, mercantile marine merchant Navy, you know, cargo ships and uh, going from uh, where I am to around Darwin, particularly up that way, we would often see these giant ships coming down and they looked like, imagine an asteroid the size of quite a big ship. And it's like a football sort of shaped with made of iron with pock marks in it like a typical asteroid and but this has like a, a bright blue green aura very distinct around it and we had one landed probably half a kilometer 500 yards off the port bow on a beautiful clear uh, moonlit night and it decelerated and it slipped into the water without a splash and we saw two in one night lots of things like that um I was also physically abducted uh, at least twice that I know of, and I recovered the memory to one of them. I was in the company of my mother. We were making a small road trip, like a 35-minute drive, and coming back about midnight, and we were like literally abducted, and we lost four hours of time. And we got home. We finished that journey. We left about midnight. We got home about 4.30 a.m., so at least four hours missing. Wow. And I recovered those memories uh, many years later because I always remembered the first part of it. Uh, driving along the road, this brilliant light appearing through the trees, going through a wooded area, and the ship moving out. And years later, when I recovered the rest of the memory, this fairly spherical ship very quickly landed on the road, a uh, ramp went down, and I, me... I drove my car carefully up the ramp and turned the engine off and put the handbrake on. Now, something was, con you know, telepathically controlling me, which is a little bit like possession in a way, but it's kind of done remotely. And um, I, we, we're taken up onto this huge ship, which is in high orbit, not low orbit. It was a really big ship. And the room we were taken to, there was a few little greys, you know, running around involved. But most of the people there were, uh, the aliens were human looking, uh, quite human. And there was about, a, it, it's like something out of Congress. You imagine, you, there was a big room and there was this huge ball of light in the middle about the size of a, you know, 30 inch monitor, but a, a ball which was glowing and throbbing and pulsing on like a dais in the middle. And there was a, about 100 chairs or more, big, comfortable, expensive-looking chairs, um, like you'd find in Congress or something, uh, positioned around this central ball. And there was about 100 people probably sitting there or less. And my mother uh, happily smiled and went and sat down and looked at the ball and kind of zombied out. Um, you ever seen the uh, Dark Crystal it's an old animated puppet thing mm, from many don't years think so. ago. It's no. kind of like that. Um, anyway, but I didn't sit down. Uh, I was talking to a man, and it was, you know, I was excited. And uh, he took me aside, and we, you know, took me away from that room. We went for a walk around the ship. And while we were walking, there were some big windows there, like bay windows, um, but spaceshipy, like like you'd find on, you know, Star Trek. On, on a galaxy class starship, big windows. And uh, you could see the Earth. We're obviously in high orbit. And, um, you know, looking down, and he explained to me what was happening. He says, he said, for 
hundreds of years, we have been abducting human beings astrally and also physically when we can, if it's convenient, but also astral projected doubles. Keeping in mind that most people, when they project, they just sleep project, which means they just, the astral body just comes out of their body and floats above the physical body, mimicking the sleeping position. So they abduct those, and they do the same sort of thing with them. He said the ball of light in the middle is uh, a telepathic uh, communication device. He said, what we're doing, we are programming healthy social trends into your population. And things like equal rights, you know, anti-racism, you know, uh, really good, healthy things, which have been growing around in the world for the last hundred years. You know, racial equality, sexual equality, all kinds of things like that. And, uh, yeah, that's about all I'll uh, tell you about that at the moment. Um, but uh, because I'm not allowed to talk about anything other beyond that but what he did say he said the reason they're doing this they're very benevolent he says your civilization has to pass through a narrow very narrow window like a an envelope window in a mailbox he says and you must do it in this exact way and pass through that little slot in order for you to become a type one civilization an enlightened civilization and if he said We've attempted to do this before a number of times. He wouldn't say how many, but he says, and if you, he said, we're very hopeful this time. He says, but if you fail, it's like, we'll just have to go back and do it all again. Takes a couple of thousand years. Well, interesting. Uh, Mr. Bruce, I just wanted to thank you for, for doing this with us again. And you're definitely an interesting guy. You have a lot of really interesting stories. Um, what do you have in in the works right now i know that you have a, a workshop that you're doing you want to tell us more about that right yeah well apart from the programs we have at astraldynamics.com um where we have the raising kundalini program the uh, astral projection mastery program they're very extensive programs uh, all in high def now uh we also have manifestation and self-healing uh a program which was actually a workshop which was filmed professionally at the Edgar Casey Foundation in Virginia Beach, the ARE Foundation. And long story, I ended up with copyright of that for that one. Um, I also have a, uh, a workshop coming up. If you go to glidewing.com, glidewing.com, um, that starts in about a week or two. I think it's about a week's time. I don't have the paper in front of me. Um, and that is the Practical Astral Projection Energy Work Intensive. And this is a five-week course uh, using uh, Hemisync technology, audio, trance-inducing audio signals. And the idea of that is for five weeks, we work on, you know, these CDs and we teach you the basis of energy work and astral projection exit techniques. But it's done in such a way it's live in the fact that we have a private forum there where all of the people taking part can ask me questions every day. I will solve problems and troubleshoot things that are going on, give you your best advice. Very, very friendly. We have a lot of fun. Um, but it's a bit of a commitment for most people because it got, runs for five weeks. And, uh, you know, the idea is... Uh, if you work for one hour a day with the uh, CDs and also do some energy work and astral projection exit work and that as well, probably ends up two hours a day and a little bit of reading, um, then, you know, you have the maximum chance of uh, succeeding in having an astral projection, um, including you know, things like the slight discomfort theory, the, uh, the short OBE technique, 10 seconds out of body. We push that. And, it, yeah, we have a great deal of success. It's probably the most successful course um, on astral projection that's ever been made. Cool. Uh, okay, with that, Dr. G, you got anything else, man? No, Rob, thank you so much for coming back. It was an absolute pleasure. You're welcome. Oh, by the way, it's for your listeners. I also have a community, community forum, forum. Um, uh, with a few thousand members and a lot of free material, and that is at astraldynamics.org, O-R-G, astraldynamics.org. You might okay. want to put that up in your... Yeah, we'll uh, definitely put the up. link on the website for everyone to yeah, click. Yeah, I'll send in. you that document, the Catch Basket concept, um, once we finish this recording. 
Excellent. We're looking looking forward to trying that course out, having like a real, real astral dynamic. All right, all right, yeah, guys. Yeah, five weeks. But I mean, even if you can't take part every day for the five weeks, I mean, it'll give you a good chance to review it and uh, you know get a good feel for what's happening. Sounds good. Cool. Well, well this is the human experience, and yeah. I'm Xavier, my co-host, Dr. G. Just thank you to Robert Bruce for doing this again. We will catch you guys next week.